Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best 90s horror, 90s young adult horror. Is it young adult? Yep. Or like middle grade even. Maybe middle even grade yeah. young adult. Uh, I would <laughs> tween say horror. More, more. Tween mine's horror. More, no, mine's more YA. Mine's got, mine's like about teenage. Now what's the difference between a YA, a young adult and a tween? I think it's just age, right? Like, like yeah. tweens are like in. I don't know. I think we should change. Grade? I think the good barians need to change that section to tweens. <laughs> I don't think tweens like being called tweens. It feels, no, it, it feels infantilizing. They do. Right. Hey, but, tweens. Listen, hey, we know a lot of tweens. <laughs> fucking tween. <laughs> to help me are two right tweeny high school English teachers, nope. Ian and Joe. <laughs> tweeny tiny. Hi, Nick. My name's Joe Holshue. I'm a high school English teacher. And we brought some spooky books this week because we Ooh. are back to school. The spookiest time of the year. Uh, Nick, if you're looking for a spooky tween book, spooky tween horror book, I brought 1997 R.L. Stein, The Haunted School. It's a Goosebumps book. Uh, Joe, I'm imagining <laughs> when you say spooky tween, that could either be it's mm. a spooky book for tweens or it's about spooky tweens. Just, like, yeah. Come play with us, The John. imagination Ooh. runs wild. One of my favorite facts about R.L. Stein that I learned this week is that he no longer plots his novels in advance uh, extensively. Instead, he just comes up with great titles and like riffs on them for 100 pages. Okay. Man. Joe wants to nosedive his uh, ability to win this week. Ian, would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> Hello, Joe. Oh. Hello, Nick. Wow. Hello, creepy litheads. Drop some X Hope you're music. feeling scared. Today I brought a book written by the 1990s horror maven Christopher Pike. Are you okay? He's got something in his throat. Uh, 90s horror maven Christopher Pike, and the book is called The Midnight Club. He's back. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. laughs. Uh, okay, so uh, what are the names of your books? Uh, my book is called the the haunted school. No, no, you can't get on my thing. Okay, all right, I'll, Joe, I'll do a different the one who thought voice. It I'll do a different voice, voice, not you. No, you don't own the scary voice. We're like a month ahead of uh, Halloween here, but that's fine. What if we just do scary Spooky books season. from here on out? Oh, <laughs> just do a month of spooktacular. Hey, what's the spookiest season? Because Joe is saying like, oh, the spookiest season is is uh, the beginning of school. But mm-hmm. obviously Halloween is on the list. What else? What are some other spooky seasons? I always think of the uh, the dead of winter, like like the like yeah, the darkest sure. part of the year. Like that is a spooky, spooky time. Like if I was writing a book, what would be the scariest setting possible? Right. Like time setting. Time setting. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Probably like just like the dead of winter, you know, when it's just really eerily quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about Dark. you, Ian? I don't know. Because you guys named the really good ones. I would maybe think like right. spring is kind of spring is kind of spooky because here's the thing. There's so much like so much like stuff growing, it would be easy to hide a body in the Oh, brush, okay. That's specific. Yeah. Um, so you guys, um, did you read these books? 
No, this Wait, week I decided what? not. To- <laughs> no, no, this is a this is a lithead suggestion. This oh. is um this book was suggested by Brenna Mackey. Um, the the uh, 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 she she proposed the the competition between R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike, and she referred to to this as the greatest battle of eighties and nineties YA horror. Really so good. I think it's time now to talk about our general experiences with eighties and nineties YA horror. I don't like it very much. I didn't like okay. it when I was a kid. I don't like it as an adult. When I was a little kid, my older sister, Annie, watched the movie Hellraiser. Maybe like Hellraiser, oh, wow. like two or three. Well, now. And I was in the room at the time. And I oh, still get super uncomfortable thinking of that guy with the pins in his face. Uh, Pinhead, yeah. I think his name is. Yeah. Pin face. Yeah. <clears throat> Pinny face. Like, they're just stuck into his body. They're not, like, it's not glued on. Well, welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit, a week oh, no. as we call Strongly <laughs> podcast, where every week we come up with a theme, and Ian and Joe bring two book recommendations. Mm-hmm. Or increasingly, we bring a Lithead suggested theme, which we've been yeah, at a roll with lately. You're doing mm-hmm. great. Keep it up. Mm-hmm. These are amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. I can guarantee you 100% I would never have read this book. Yep. I can I also guarantee you guys are so much better at coming up with the themes than we are. Well, I don't know about that. I think Big City Books stands <laughs> on its own. And just to upset one of them, we pick a winner and we have some show rules to keep us on track. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today, gentlemen. Preferably none. Rule number two. Uh, omit. omit thank you. Words, Ian. Oh, thank you. Omit the needless words, Joe. Got it. And rule number three, only winning matters. Keep that in mind. That is your North Star, gentlemen. It's mm-hmm. party. Of course, we do also have our shadow rules. And today, since it's a, uh, a spoopy episode, it's especially shadowy. I'll just point out that um, you are not allowed to criticize each other's stories. You must meet at midnight. And when you see the other members of the club, you should embrace them and All say, right. I belong, I belong to you. I'll be you. honest. I didn't know we were doing like horror this week. I didn't really yeah, know what Nick we were doing really until we out. started hitting record. I just don't know why we're doing this a month before Halloween. This <laughs> is just very confusing. Well, I, I think the whole <laughs> idea behind horror, I think last week Ian and I were in like kind of not a dark place, but like just that like <laughs> little lethargic place where it's like, ah, oh, my summer is ending. I'm going yeah. back to school. It's just a little spooky. And I think we actually talked about back to school dreams a little bit, maybe, maybe off mic, um, where we said, do you guys have dreams about going back to school? Uh, Which Ian and I both said, yeah, I have dreams about going back to school. No, no. (laughs) Yeah. Just just dreams. (laughs) Hey, Joe Holshue, do you want to take 30 seconds and uh, yeah, you know what to do. Tommy Fraser's dad just got married. Now Tommy's got a new mom and he's going to a new school, Bell Valley Middle School. Tommy doesn't hate school, but it's hard making friends and his school is big. It's easy to get lost, which is exactly what happens. Tommy gets lost in a maze of empty classrooms. Oh my that's God. That's when he hears voices, kids' voices crying for help. Voices coming from behind the okay. classroom. Uh, you gonna walls. just tell us the book? What? That's the teaser. I felt like <laughs> really kept going, Joe. No, it's like chapter one. Voices. This is literally the, uh, the nightmare. The, the when you're in school is to get lost in the school. Yeah, like and like. Have you ever been to a school? Maybe a school yeah. that you go to. Have you ever been to a school like? After everybody is kind of out of that school. So maybe you're there late at night for some reason yeah. and it's just a big empty building. It's spooky. Yeah, it's, spooky, it's, it's the spookiest. 
I'd say. Maybe in like, if you were like outside in the dead of winter, you know, when it's just so quiet, that could be scary. <laughs> so dark and so quiet. <laughs> I, I really don't think so. There's something, there's something about the, something about a school. Oh, no, guys, I think it's, it's definitely the school. <laughs> it's how it smells. <laughs> right. Uh, from the bodies. School. Ian, do you want to take 30 <laughs> seconds and tell me what your book is about? What kind of stories would terminal cancer patients Jesus tell Christ. to pass the time? <laughs> Turns out pretty good ones, albeit somewhat spooky. Christopher Pike's book, The Midnight Club, which I read this week, follows the fortunes of a bunch of teenagers who are dying of cancer. As they tell stories, pine for each other, drink wine, and spoilers, do pass away. This Jesus. is a very weird book. Jesus. Okay. Ian, you lose. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. This is uh, like a not a 90s romp. It sounds like Ian. Which no, is like what I said. I had like in my I head. said, he's more YA than 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 tween. He mm, is. Right. He's like. I mean, this is like your Twilight man. His platform is that there's plenty of you know cancer for tweens too. Let's get them involved in in the genre. I, I bet those kids got some stories. <laughs> um, you know, this is funny because. I remember when John Green what a, what a, wrote what a, what a club um, that would be what a, what a theme that would be cancer tweens. Well, OK, so when John Green wrote his um, like mega hit book, uh, The Fault in Our Stars, yes, which is about yes, cancer yeah, teens. Yeah. I remember one of the criticisms I read about it being saying something like, oh, good, another teenage cancer book. And I'm like, hmm. what? I've never read. This any guy's of found those. a niche. Is this a thing? <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. I, I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know it was a thing either. This is the second one I've ever heard of. Yet. Well, here we cool. Are. So I guess probably just start with cancer. Team oh, cancer. God. I'll be honest. I, so Let's I, deflate I no, this episode. That's I had no idea what to expect mm -hmm. when I when I started this book. This is one of the books that um, that uh, he got nominated for an award for. Which uh, award? Edgar VMA Poe Award. Oh. Edgar Allan Poe. That's a uh, good yeah, one. Kid, kids' choice. No, it's it's like for, for <laughs> he young adults. <laughs> he got slimed on stage. <laughs> Spoiler: He did not win the Kids' Choice Award for this one. Well, they actually slimed the losers in the Kids' Choice Award. Oh. It's not only sad, but it's humiliating. Right. So, so I I went into this and I was like, oh, we'll see what this is about. There's there's people telling stories. Um. So the the cancer thing uh, was a bit of a a bit of a gut punch. You might say well you don't know it coming in i did not know like like starting the book I, I the book isn't like the midnight club colon about cancer patients um it's it's just kind of like uh, it's also really hard to find christopher pike books for reasons i'll get into so there wasn't a ton out there about this one and when i located it i was like okay well here we go this is the only copy i can find and then it was about cancer people that's okay okay so this book is set in uh, a hospice for terminally ill kids. So most of them have cancer. Some of them have other things, but okay, great, um, awesome. That's the that's the setting. So your the vibe you get is kind of uh, a <laughs> lot of beat, <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of sort of struggling, a lot of sort of coping. Um, one of the things they do is they get to, a group of them gets together at midnight every night and they tell stories. Um, this min, the min, the midnight club Good. of the title. Yes. Is there and a leader stories, of this group? Uh, they're not really, actually, they're, we have a point of view character named Ilonka. But, Ilonka. Um, it's a fun yeah, name. Uh, yeah, very, very fun name. I thought it was a typo for a while. <laughs> <laughs> In this book, 
published novel in which the name appears like 50 times. Do you think anybody well, ever, would ever think that Nick, Ian, or Joe are fun names? Like in the other part of the world? In other part of the world? Like, oh, that's a fun name. Ian is a Nick fun is, name. No, Nick is fun. Nick is fun British slang that means steal. Like, like oh, to Nick. Like, oh, like okay. I nicked some chocolate from the shop. Or if you got like yeah. a Nick on your car, right? It's also a bad thing. Right. No, no, yeah, stealing, all, like, like nicking, nicking some, nicking yeah. some, some, that's like, that's fun. But I think yeah. people could agree that's not a good thing, right? I like Ian. Ian has a nice bounce to it, right? Like three letters, two Ian. syllables. That's wild. Right. It's almost like Ion, right? It has this hum right. to it. Hum. Mm-hmm. Like that. And then Joe. Mm-hmm. You say something nice about me now. Very. I, you said something nice about Nick. Joe, something- Joe is another synonym for coffee. <laughs> oh, that is good. And it's what also the first, it's also the first syllable of our favorite portmanteau, Joe Boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we know how many people would ever laugh at that joke. One. <laughs> Joe I loves it. I've called him Joe Boat before and he loves it every single time. It really makes it's me great. laugh. So really uh, laugh. I forgot the name that you said. <laughs> That's it. The name doesn't matter. Jo- Joel? Joe Boat uh, is the name that I said. Let's just call her Joe Boat. So, so, so there's a, there's a group of kids and they get together at midnight and they tell stories and they're all dying and they know this. And, <laughs> and so it's, 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 there's a little bit of kind of like some, some gallows drama of like, you know, if you, you know, they're going to die. Like what, what, do, how do they live in, in the, the, the twilight years of their existence? Because these are not people who are like fighting cancer. This is a hospice where you go because you are duh. I-ing. Yeah, no, yeah. we got to thank you there, Ian. Do you think, is this book, does this tr- book try to, um, is this like a distraction, the the plot of this book to the characters? Like, are they telling stories to just get away or? Absolutely. Or, it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. And then, okay. Awesome. Quick follow up. <laughs> um, does it work? <laughs> Well, Does it work the on thing. the reader? This is the thing. You, so like, is there a point in the book where you're reading it where you're like, "Oh shit, I forgot they had cancer." Oh, absolutely. Because yeah, that'd yeah. be you cool. get drawn in. I think. I think the the stories the stories are kind of Not like the a big part. hook, right? Yeah, no, I, I know. Oh, okay. The stories are the stories are a big like a real hook for this uh, for this novel because it's not like. It's not like Pike kind of like throws in and then they told a story and it was pretty good. No, he has the characters tell each one tells their story. And so it's almost like kind of um, kind of like a frame narrative type situation where it's not really that the stories are the main attraction, but they are well written. Interesting. They're the kind of stories. There's a kid named Spence who's kind of like out there and wild. And he always tells like really gory graphic stories. And there's another another uh, kid who always tells stories about like her past life or what she believes is her past life kind of reincarnation thing. And Pike does a really good job of differentiating. So like the story that Spence tells fits who Spence is and the story that the uh, that the the uh, that Elonka tells about her past lives that that's that fits her. So it kind of works the whole story thing where they help us understand these characters and you do get caught up in in what happens in the stories. So it's really weird, the balance. Yeah, so I'll get, I'll say, um, how heavy is this book? Yeah, sounds, it's, I mean, it sounds heavy. Premise-wise, it couldn't sound heavier. Right, no, absolutely. This is the strange thing. Pretty light, pretty upbeat. 
It, there are jokes every. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> it's a laugh no, a minute. <laughs> I, I, it, it, it's a story. It's a story about young people who are kind of dealing with, you know, lost, lost futures and things. But it's not. Um, you know the word, Nick. I know you'll know this word. Oh, thank Maudlin. you. Maudlin. 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 I think that's it's a, a fabric. That's a like fun you make name. curtains out of it. Yeah. No, and it's not not a fabric. I don't know what you're talking about, Joe. But uh, maudlin is like kind of just drizzling tears all over the place. Maudlin is tear tear jerking. Maudlin yeah. is trying to make you like excessively sad yeah. about how bad. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of an example, like like kids with uh, cancer. Well, yeah, I feel like there's movies mm-hmm. that are just like tear jerking movies. Like you can't help but just ball. Well, just right everything now. goes wrong, right? It's just one thing after another where it just not just what happens, but it's how it happens. It's like they're depicted in a, a, exceptionally like like pathetic ways, like really tugging on your heartstrings, like beautiful scenes of sort of loss and sorrow and like a dramatic parting of the two lovers. Like then this book doesn't do that. This book is, I would say, I would say fairly kind of straightforward in how it represents these characters. And so that like they, they know they're dying of cancer. They all cope in different ways, but they're all coping and so it doesn't end up being super, super grim because, you know, they are the primary draw is like the psychology of these people who are faced with their own kind of their own uh, mortality. And how do they deal with it? The story begins with this, this, they, they make us packed like, hey, if one of us dies before the rest, we should try to reach out from beyond the grave and oh, contact It's a good plan. Others. Guys, can we make a pact right here that if one of us dies before the rest, we should try to reach out from beyond the grave? Yeah, um, just to podcast with the others for a little while. Just absolutely. to keep podcasting into eternity? Yeah, or just absolutely. like every week, like we're just we'll on be, the Skype call. We'll, <laughs> we'll be the, the first never canceled podcast. Um <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the overall, that's the overall, will, will they, the question, will they be able to contact each other? You know, one of them is going to die, but it's more just sort of a character study. These four interesting people who are in a situation which is unique and kind of grotesque. And you just watch how they kind of interact and unspool. Um, it's a book which you sort of have to trust that it's going somewhere. Um, but I would say it, it pays off pretty well. Is this a horror book? Well, this is the other thing. I would say this is not. Um, this Christopher Pike writes like some really, really scary stuff. This is grotesque, yeah, and this yeah, is yeah. maybe unsettling or disturbing. This is not, you know, R.L. Stein style goosebumps, hair raising, like freaky, um, deaky, uh, freaky or deaky. Freaky it's deaky. it's like the, the the Spence, the kind of the kind of out there kid who tells the the kind of grotesque story, the, the violent stories like his stories are all about mass murders. Another one tells stories about relationships that are like kind of falling apart because people aren't loving each other properly. Another one tells stories about like her past life or what she believes is her past life. And there's a mysterious figure who's influencing her. So there's like this atmosphere of the macabre. Yeah, definitely an atmosphere of the grotesque. But it's really not like one of those sort of edge of your seat sure. heart palpitations, yeah. which I think, honestly, I mean, I sorry, I'm, I'm teaching this year. I'm teaching um, 
I'm teaching uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers. Wow. Tweens. Do you have tweens? I I actually am teaching. uh, Hey, tweens, if you're listening to this, turn it off. This is not Uh, for you. Please do not scare it away from the terminology of tweens ever again (laughs) on this podcast. Can you please, every morning when you go to your middle schoolers, Ian, can you please walk in and say, good morning, tweens? (laughs) I will not. I will not. I always say good morning, scholars. I don't say good morning, tweens. Good morning, morning, scholars. Can you say it like that? I should. I don't, um, I don't refer to my students by their age really so much as, <laughs> as by their, anyway, the point is what I'm, what I'm trying to say what about this their is, sex or ethnicity <laughs> what, yeah, what about gender? by their religion. Yes. I, I, <laughs> hello, atheists. Hello, Christians. Hello, Buddhists. Uh, um, no. So I have these two classes, these two, this divide, right? And my high schoolers are pretty like they're seniors, many of them. And my middle schoolers are definitely like sixth and seventh grade. And I think that what would be scary to a middle schooler would be ridiculous to a high schooler. And what might be like kind of unsettling or, or, or scary to a high schooler might be too much for a middle schooler. I think this book is written with a high school kind of young adult audience in mind. It's not a tween book, which is good because this week's episode is not tween horror. Oh, wow. I wish it, it was. Right yeah, yeah, I mean, when you're a tween, <laughs> when you're when you're a child, when you're like, a things, tween. Are, things are di- scary. Like there's ghosts in that graveyard. Ooh, right. when you're when you get older, the things that are scary are like, hey, your parents are going to die, and yeah, it's like, right. oh, wow, maybe I won't have a future. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, okay, so uh, my other question is, is like, okay, so this is '90s. I'd say in the last like three to five years, it's become more popular to be like. Not only should you write what you know, you better write what you know. <laughs> right. You shouldn't be. You should yes. kind of stay in your lane in terms yeah. of like pulling from your own experience, you know, it, when it comes to certain topics. Right. Yeah. What does this guy? Is there any backstory here with this author or is he just like, man, I just I love cancer and I love tweens. Let's get at it again. No, no, uh, no tweens in this, in this story. <laughs> okay. uh, well, this is really interesting. So, so Christopher Pike is an interesting, an interesting figure. So, um, first of all, his name was not actually Christopher Pike. That is fake fiction and a lie. His name is Kevin Christopher McFadden. Um, Christopher Pike was a pen name. So that's interesting. Are there any authors with pencil names where they just use them for a short period of time? Like for five years? Absolutely. absolutely. Do they call it pencil names? No, they, they should. should. They don't, Nick, but they absolutely should. It's better than what they call it. I actually just read somebody wrote this long kind of analysis about, I forget the name of the book, but they're like, hey, I think Stephanie Meyer just wrote a book about that was like super critical of religion and wrote it under a pen name because I just read a book that sounded exactly like Twilight. It even oh, had that's like interesting. all the same like phrases that they use in Twilight. So you get all these like f- shadow authors just throwing out ludicrous opinions and like cancelable <laughs> offenses, huh? All right. <laughs> Sorry, Ian, keep going. No, I'm just down the rabbit hole on lists of pen names. Benjamin Franklin used the pen name Busy Body as one of oh, his. That's yeah. insane. And like Constance Duguid and also he. he well, also yeah, I mean, there are all those, of course. Yeah. Um, what a douche. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here Constance, first, guys. Benjamin Franklin, Constance the foundingest father, also huge D-bag. Ian, Yikes. you're going to tell us about your author and yeah. Joe so keeps he's, interrupting you. <laughs> he's yeah. This is the, like literally the last thing I want to say. So he's a very interesting figure. Um, R.L. Stein never really went away, but in the late nineties, Christopher Pike, but Christopher Pike was huge. He was selling millions of, of books 
And uh, by all accounts, like you go to the young adult section of the library, Truthbury, sorry. Thank you. And, or, or like a Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Walden Books, Borders Books, one of those bookstores. You know, things that used to exist called bookstores. And he would be all over. So he was huge. But he had this accident at a very bad time. Uh, it was the late 1990s and it took him a little while to recover. And by the time he was kind of back on his feet... Harry Potter had just gotten oh, young no. adult fiction by the freaking throat yeah. and Twilight and Aragon. And it was like, that's it. You know, like that's, that's all she wrote. He had lost. He says in this interview, he's like, I, I, you have to te- teens, teens have a short memory. Like it, it turns a lot of turnover. You got to keep yeah. them. Hooked. Yeah. These tweens like, come and go. Not tweens, go? teens. Christopher Pike had lost the teens. He had lost the teens, I tell you. There was too late. But you said he had an accident. I'm sorry, Ian. Did you say what the accident was? No. So he is, he didn't, he doesn't say in his, um, in his, in the interview, and he's kind of a recluse. Apparently he doesn't really like kind of give a lot of interviews. So the one that I found, the interview with him, I found is uh, kind of took a lot of legwork for the interviewer to actually get in touch with him. It's a fine. He's not like crotchety or anything, but. So he's just a he's just a a dude who he he said the f- the reason he wrote his first YA book was because he wanted to get published. His his agent said you're a good ri- yeah. you're a good writer, but you 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 haven't been published. Um, and so he tried something something YA, and it took off. And pretty quickly, he was um this this huge bestseller. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. But the thing I want to like kind of end with here is a really fascinating piece of sort of it's a bit of a time capsule. It's a bit of like kind of kind of uh critique from him um and it's a really like just kind of wholesome so he's talking about his writing process and the interviewer asks like why were all of your female characters look like this cliche the attractive white girl and he says it was basically impossible to write ya in the 80s and 90s not see that this was very common the pretty white girl on the cover was like that was ya in the 80s and 90s and so Simon Schuster told him, like, you can do whatever you want. You can write whatever you want as long as you sell. And he says, OK, cool. I'm going to address some of these stereotypes. So early in his career, he is like he's tests the water. He says, can I make my main character a normal looking girl, not a supermodel? And they're like, yeah, fine. Go for it. Highly irregular. <laughs> why would why on earth? I know. Keep an like, eye well, on we'll him. see where it goes. Well, watch yourself, <laughs> counselor. But then later, a couple books later, he does uh, a trilogy which kind of has some main characters who aren't white. And so he's like, I was proud of myself because I had a black guy and a Latina woman on the cover of my books. Like I was I felt good about it. And then he says something happened. He's like, I just stopped. Was it laziness? I don't know. Maybe. And it wasn't until like much later that they kind of came back. He said this was not the fault of my publishers that his books ended up being so white. He says it was my fault. I was very popular during that period. I could have insisted on the race of my characters. I could have added some color to the entire YA aisle, but I didn't. I let the whole thing slide. I wish I hadn't got more power than you think people. Yeah. He like saw, he saw this and he's like, I could, but he didn't. And now he regrets it. And I think it's, it's just really like nice honesty. I read that and I was like, Oh man, yeah. Christopher, 
It's all good, man. Christopher. I mean, it's not all good. You should have made more characters of, uh, characters of color, but. Right. You were yeah. selling millions of but, books, Mr. But Pike. he did. He just didn't do it soon enough. Or he just didn't keep doing it. Oh, okay. He didn't keep doing it. He started and then he kind of got away from it. And it. it was just a really, it's a really interesting, especially for a guy who's avoided sort of a lot of public. He made his millions. I'm sure he's fine. Like he's. Okay. Well, that's eye. good. We just want to make sure he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's I'm, What I'm saying is it's interesting that he's kind of just being so open about it. Mm-hmm. He's saying, yeah. yeah, I screwed up. This is a thing. He's not trying to kind of like, oh, here's why there were reasons. He could have blamed Simon and Schuster, could have blamed his publisher, but he's like, no, like this was on me. And I like that. I like that sort of honesty and accepting responsibility for for that. Terry writes in micro histories, or at least that's what I call them. Deep dive into a single topic typified by Mike. Oh, not going to get say this last name. Correctly. Yeah, Kurlansky. 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 He looks like that name is from Wisconsin. Uh, Mark <laughs> Kurlansky. Good Wisconsin name. Cod or Henry Petrosky's The Pencil. But there are many other great examples, too. OK, so basically what Turi is saying is that there are books that go into a deep, deep micro history, like obscene levels of detail. Yeah. You've heard of microscopes, <laughs> microwaves, you've heard of microwaves, microfiche. I've never heard of microfiche. You've never heard of microfiche? <laughs> it's when Don't you go fishing <laughs> and you pull it out. It's really, really small. Well, Nick, if you're looking for a micro history about a microfiche, I don't have a microfiche. I actually have a macrofiche. Um, it's called a cod. And my book is going to be <laughs> The Cod, A Biography of the Fish That Changed the World by Mark Kurlansky. I bet this guy is from Wisconsin. That, that's a Wisconsin name. Well, it says New York Times bestseller, so he's probably from New York. Oh, yeah, that's how that goes. Yeah, well, you have to be. Yeah, that's one of the secretly one of the rules. I'm going to read Salt, a World History, also by Mark Kurlansky. So this will be a chance for Mark really to. Uh, Mark, I know you're listening. I know you're. You're probably as many authors do. You're probably wondering which of my books is the best. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to start narrowing it down. So um, you do get to kind of hear us condemn one of your books that's right uh real-time update he is from connecticut dang so it next week Mark. we're gonna learn everything there is to know about cod and or salt and presumably mark yeah no, mark. not everything there is to know everything there is to know about mark tune in for mark kalaski's deepest darkest secrets <laughs> i have a question to start us off with did you guys read the goosebumps books when you were kids I have a Goosebumps story. Yeah, all right. Yeah, okay. go ahead. So I wasn't allowed to read Goosebumps. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it gets better. So I was at my cousin's house and he had a lot of Goosebumps books. Uh, I know my, my parents do listen to the show, so I just want to tell them I'm sorry I was not listening to you. Oh, no. I regretted it for a long time after. You're going to get grounded. Just so you know, your parents Ian, are going to call you in trouble. <laughs> so I crept up to my uh, cousin's bedroom where you he dirty, old, I knew all those goosebumps, goosebumps were. And I grabbed them and I started reading them. They're pretty short. Mm-hmm. And the adults and everyone else was like elsewhere, like playing with Legos and stuff. The adults weren't. They were probably enjoying some conversation. The kids are playing with Legos and I was just devouring these goosebumps. And they were so, so scary. I was quite, quite young that I think I woke up crying because uh, the goosebump was uh, it was going goosebump. In the it night. was too bumpy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nick, goosebumps. Yeah, I loved him. 
got them, got all them bookmarks and been to those scholastic events where you could get like 16 books and you thought you were getting something over on these teachers. And they're like, these kids are so stupid. We're like tricking them into like reading books by telling them it's cheap. Like, I don't get that. Did you know that in in the state of Florida now, (laughs) scholastic book fairs are banned. Oh God, Jesus. Jesus (laughs) Ian, 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 this show is a spot of joy in our lives and positivity. And you, it's positive that there are 49 states. Oh man. (laughs) Scholastic book fairs are not banned. That's insane. That's insane. I just just like the idea of feeling threatened by a a book fair is is funny to me. It'd be funny if it wasn't so sad. All right. So I, I, as usual, I am the least qualified person to talk about this on this show. I, never read the Goosebumps books. What? Um, I, I was looking through Joe, a list of them. Yeah, Joe, I was you looking through a list lose. of them to see if any looked familiar. And there was one that really, like I saw the cover of it. I'm like, oh my God, I have read that book. I looked at it. I definitely remembered reading it. I was talking to my dear wife and she apparently was a huge fan of these books. She got um, down with the bumps. She was down with the GBs. Um, but as I said earlier in this show, I am not interested in scary things. And these books, Ian... I didn't realize this. These books were super scary. Like, I don't uh, know. Uh, hey, Joe. Yep. I just want to, I just want to say quickly, uh, Ooga Booga Booga. Oh God. Um, I'm going to scare you throughout the rest <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> well, okay. So when I read this book and I read the book, uh, the haunted school this week, it is one of, Oh, 62 goosebumps books that RL Stein has written. This particular one was written in 1997, uh, but I'm sure he published three dozen of them in 1997. Um, it's 120 pages long. Like Ian said, it was super readable. I mean, I didn't, to say I read it in a sitting is a little bit not true, but I read it in two sittings. Like it took me an hour <laughs> and a half to read it. <laughs> like it, it was not a big book. Okay. But one of the things I was surprised by, by this book, and I have so much to say about R.L. Stein and then a little bit about to say about this book. Yeah. But one of the things I was surprised by this book is I think I was expecting Scooby-Doo. Oh uh, yeah. Like I think I was <laughs> right. expecting like, a bunch of kids go out and solve a mystery, but there was never actually any danger there. That is not what this book was. This book was spooky. It was scary. It was dangerous. It was suspenseful. Like this book was hard. Horror. It was like kind of hard horror for <laughs> tweens. Hey tweens, if you're listening, be, be, be careful. It's scary stuff. It is scary. Nobody wants to be in a school. During the day <laughs> or at night or at night. Oh God. Can you imagine being in a school after three o'clock? Give us, uh, Joe, I would really like to hear a little bit more about R.L. Stein. I don't know anything about him, and he's yeah. a very popular name. I have so much to say about R.L. Stein. I want to start, though, I, I don't even want to call this a game, because it's just a quick game of over-under, a quick soft game. Okay. I'm going to name an author, okay? An author that you've heard of. Great. I want you to tell me if that person has sold more books than R.L. Stein <laughs> or fewer books than okay. R.L. Stein? I think the answer is always going to be fewer. Okay. Right. Okay. Maybe. So, so this game is called um, Over Under. If if the author has sold fewer books than R.L. Stein, you go ahead and say under. If they have sold more books than R.L. Stein, you say over. Got Gentlemen, J.R.R. Tolkien. Under. Over. Over. So, so Ian is saying that J.R.R. Tolkien has in fact sold. So our J.R. I'm sorry. Let me start that. There's over. a lot of syllables going on here. Yep. Letters. So J.R.L.R. Stein. 
<laughs> so Ian is saying that J.R.R. Tolkien has, in fact, sold fewer books than R. Than R.L. Jesus, I don't even know what you just are saying at all. Yeah, so so that's correct. J.R.R. <laughs> Tolkien has sold fewer books than R.L. Stein. Um, ge- gentlemen, James Patterson. Point for Nick. More books than R.L. Stein or fewer books than R.L. Stein? James Patterson. It's a tough one. I'm going to say more. More. Ian? I'm going to say fewer. He has sold fewer books than R.L. Stein. Guys, Stephen King. Here we go. Here we go, guys. Now we're talking. I'm going to say he has sold less books than Stephen King. I'm also going to say the same thing. R.L. Stein has sold. No, no, no. I'm going to say, no, 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 say, say I, I want to say the opposite. I want to say that, that Stein has outsold Stephen King. Stein has outsold Stephen King. Take that, Nick. Dr. Seuss. Now, fuck this game, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the game's over. Basically, R.L. Stein has sold more books than almost any author that you can name. Well, did he sell Uh, more than Seuss? He sold fewer than Seuss, but barely, like just barely. He sold barely fewer than J.K. Rowling. Um, like, like this guy has sold something like 400 million books in his lifetime, which is just, (laughs) it's wild. (laughs) Yeah. I will say one of the things that helped him sell a lot of books is he has written a lot of books. Like JK Mm. Rowling has written something like 15 books. R.L. Stein has written 430 books. You throw enough at the wall and eventually it'll start. To oh, my God. Yeah, this guy has written crazy books. No news there. Yeah. He sold a lot of books. Juggernaut. Well, I mean, like a wild amount of books. Like Shakespeare sold more, but pretty much nobody else has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so R.L. Stein, he, he grew up in Ohio, born and raised in Ohio. He graduated from Ohio State University and then moved to New York City, and he worked as a writer. He published stuff on his own. He actually wrote books of jokes. He wrote children's joke books, humor books under the name Jovial Say Bob Stein. Twins. Tween, yeah. Well, I think it was actually specifically for kids. Guys, like we got to get this kids. off the ground here. We got to stick to the brand. All right. Tween, <laughs> tween joke books he wrote. Wow, um, those sound great, Joe. He wrote for TV shows and, and things like that. And the, all the time he was writing, like working a day job writing, he would also write at night trying to publish novels. And he had kind of mixed success with it. He on that grind. At a certain point, his wife approached him and said, and this Nick, you'll love this. It's just straight marketing. She Nick, said, you're love this. Hey, well, Ian, like nobody it? has ever. I don't know. I don't think you won't, won't as like, as much as like it. His editor, his wife came to him and said, I'm just no going to trick and say, hey, Nick, are you enjoying this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love this. Well, his wife kind of looked at the demographics of children horror books and said, just a quick hey, update here. Nobody's Ian, ever I am really <laughs> enjoying this. She said, nobody's ever written horror books targeted at children and tweens. Do you think you'd like to do that? And he was like, no, (laughs) like, I don't (laughs) think so. And she's like, well, how about you try it? (laughs) Wait, so so he was writing other things and then he kind of got onto the the young adult tween thing yeah he like <laughs> that's stumbled interesting into because, the tween because thing. that's like the that's the that's more or less the career path of pike hat it's like yeah you don't start off saying i'm going to tween it up but yeah. before you know it you eventually been, we all tween it up don't we oh, well, I, I mean eventually <laughs> time you makes do a tween of us all sells. eventually you do what sells yeah 
Um, so he started writing the Goosebumps books. Um, his first contract was for so six So it wasn't even books. his idea? No, it was his wife's so, idea. Okay. Does he steal these books? That's pretty scary. Well, it's kind of wow. interesting. What a great um, idea his wife had. <laughs> He gave her like a dollar from each well, I do book think, or something. So reading about R.L. Stein a little bit, it does seem like these books are really, a you know, it's his name on the cover, but it is a collaboration between oh, he and his wife. She's, she doesn't do any of the writing, but she is his editor. She's actually his only editor. So he writes cool. the books. She edits the books. And he says she's also just absolutely ruthless when she uh, edits them. At one point, he gave her a manuscript and she gave it back to him. And he was expecting like all sorts of like markups and stats and crossouts and suggestions. And instead, she had written on the front page, psychotic ramblings and gave it back to him. (laughs) That's brutal. Not even worth her time. That's cool. So, so he kind of thrives off of the um, unacknowledged work of a woman, oh, right? Yes, he, he uh-huh. has built his empire on the back of a na- un- unnamed woman. Yes, yeah, good, um, good for him. Whose name was? See, uh, yeah, Joe has not named her yet either. Mrs. Stein, <laughs> uh, Mrs. Stein, obviously. <laughs> Um, the Goosebumps books obviously got crazy popular. Um, in the mid '90s, they were as challenged as the as Madonna's book about sex, the Anarchist Cookbook, and Private Parts by Howard Stern. Like they were hotly contested. Jane Waldhorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane Waldhorn Stein. Uh, no. J. W. Stein. Okay. She kept her name. It looks like. Okay. And wait, what was his name? Was that his real name? R.L. Stein. Um, I think it's a kind of a, an abbreviation of his Can't real name. Yes. Uh, is that a pencil name? No, no. It's 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 his actual name. He he said that he was kind of a scared kid. He's like, when I was a kid, I was just kind of scared of everything, and I remember how visceral that feeling was. So when I started writing these books, like this first kind of set of six books, I just tried to tap into that. Like I just thought of the stuff that really scared me when I was a kid. And then I would try to construct a plot, you know, a hundred, 120, 150 pages. I would try to construct a plot around that. And it was a, it was a, a formula that really resonated with kids. It's crazy how short that is, right? 120 pages. Yeah. Like I feel like. Mm -hmm. Could you, how quickly could you write that? I feel like you could write that in a week. Crank it out pretty fast. Well, oh, t- hey, Nick, I have an answer for that question. Um, his first Goosebumps books, he said they took him two months each to produce, right? So yeah. two months each from the, from the idea to the actual publication of it. Once they got popular um, and he had kind of like these first six books took off through mostly word of mouth, he said, you know... I think I could probably write one of these in about a month. <laughs> and nice. now he I'm says I'm spending a little too much time on this. <laughs> and now he says it takes him about two weeks to draft a book. Like he writes Holy a book about every, every two weeks. He cranks these things out. Wow. Did, did you ever come across anything like did the success of the books have anything to do with how the bumps kind of came out in the book? Wait, is that a thing? Like, like you had like a raised cover. Yeah. Oh, I haven't yeah, seen. This. I remember it was like, a, it was like embossed. Yeah, it was like, it definitely like visibly stood out among other books. And the book also had hair. Right. <laughs> and screamed. And, and a goose. 
<laughs> honked when you open it. It's a goose honking when you open it. Uh, uh, no, it, it didn't talk about the embossing. Um, it did say that the cover artist, he's been working with the same cover artist forever. And the cover artist is like, yeah, each one of these covers takes me about 35 hours to produce. And by the time I'm done drawing the cover, he's done with the book. Um, and, and basically, like when I draw the cover, a lot of times all I have is like the title or a blurb like like i never have more than a paragraph so uh joe what's what's the book about yeah would so, you crank out the plot yeah let me crank out the plot it takes of this him book. two weeks why don't you take two minutes uh-huh <laughs> this book is a kid moves to a new school pretty spooky he wants to make new friends so he volunteers to be on like the basically the party planning committee at school and they Fun. decorate for a dance okay so he's at school late one night decorating for this dance with a couple of his new kind of friends and he has to go to the art room for paint and on his way to the art room he learns that um well this school 50 years ago had a class of students just disappear from the face of the earth that's nobody knows it's not good nobody knows what's happened to them um adults aren't saying anything and while he's in the art room he comes across spooky stuff like he hears people's voices behind the walls and he comes across a classroom full of students. Of, I'm sorry, full of statues of students sitting in desks, fully clothed. Um, it's, it, it, and basically it's him kind of accidentally stumbling into this spooky, spooky world. I've blocked this out entirely. And now I'm looking at the covers of goosebump books and it's mm-hmm. really bringing me back. It's, it is okay. Lidhead's. If you Visceral. had any connection to the Goosebumps books growing up, I invite you to just look at covers of old Goosebumps books. Oh, it man. Is, it is nostalgia that has hit me harder than than almost any other nostalgia. Holy and I didn't buckets. read these. Like, they were just so everywhere. I, I read the ones with the little little dummy, you know? Yep. The Slappy. Famous ones. Slappy the dummy. Slappy the dummy. Oh man, this is um, I'm just gonna post a bunch of goosebumps. It's like Lisa covers. Frank. It's like scary Lisa Frank is what it is. Lisa I Frank. Don't know what Lisa Frank is. What? Are you thinking of Anne Frank? Are you thinking no. of Lisa Google, Simpson? Google Lisa Frank, you chumps. Let's all Google it together, Litheads. Mm-hmm. This book has a really great premise that grabs your imagination. Like you said 120 pages isn't very much. It's not. By the end of the first three-page chapter, you are in this story and like you have hit the ground running like stuff happens immediately you get character names you get a couple details and then it rolls this book is also genuinely creepy like i said earlier i thought it was going to be scooby-doo but it was like dangerous and scary and even at one point when it seems like things are going to turn out okay there's like huge twists and turns and you're like oh my god that is surprisingly dark for a book targeted at tweens um it's super good at foreshadowing like it's well built like it has a mystery inside of it that can be figured out by a careful reader and it has super quick and cliffhangery chapters like it's you know like there's all these people out there they're like i read all the goosebumps books when i was a little kid well guys they're not that hard to read i'm not impressed right (laughs) they take like an hour so nick i thought it was a super good book i liked it a lot i don't know that I'll be going back and re-reading or reading all the Goosebump books, but um, I am happy I read this one. 
Ian, you do lose. Uh, Joseph, wait, was this a lithead recommendation? It was a lithead recommendation. Thanks, Brenna. We appreciate the opportunity to read about cancer and schools. Here we are. Litheads, you know the drill. Go follow us on socials. Tell your friends about, tell your bookish friends mm-hmm. and non-bookish friends about tell our podcast. Tell one bookish friend. One bookish friend. Every hour. Text one bookish <laughs> friend. Text them over and over and over. Maybe Just one make a month. Them really, yep. uh, make, them, make them block you. That's how much, how, uh, uh, how much you should advocate for our podcast, please. Um, you can go, uh, go to our website, you don't know that podcast.com to request a bunch of stickers. I'm still sending those out. You can also go to our podcast or our website, sorry, and uh, request a book or a theme as uh, Brenna did this week and as Turi did for next week. We are delighted to be opening our horizons as a result of your recommendations. Thank you. Keep them coming. Awesome. Um, my book, I, and I think a lot of goosebumps books are not going to be particularly quotable. Um, <laughs> so instead, I have a quote from R.L. Stein about the process of writing these books. He says... I wrote 87 Goosebumps books. That's a lot of books for a human, isn't it? None of us expected what would happen with it. We started in 1992, and by 1994, I was turning out a Goosebumps book a month, and it was doing okay for a while. And then it just took off like nothing we'd ever seen. It took off all over the world, not through advertising or hype or promotions, but just kids telling kids. There's some kind of secret kids network out there. Just kids telling kids about it. And this thing grew everywhere. It was in 28 languages. At one point after a couple of years, we were selling 4 million Goosebumps books a month. Crazy, right? He was releasing one a month? One a month. Holy buckets. He's written like 430 books. Like it's- You gotta have like, these books don't probably have a ton of reread value. So you gotta keep it coming. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's like, it's like a, a, like a daily show. You can't like, you're not gonna have people watching reruns. Yeah. Once you know the trick, like once you know how it happened, then that's it. You put that one aside, you put it on your shelf.